Home Alone is a classic Christmas comedy about an eight-year-old named Kevin McAllister. His family unintentionally leaves him home alone as they head to France, and on the plane, they realize they forgot Kevin. Eventually, from the Paris airport, Kevin's mom, Kay, uses a payphone. Do you guys remember payphones back in the day? Oh, those payphones. And, and she, she called the, the police uh, back in Chicago. Rose, the policewoman, wrapping Christmas gifts at her desk, answers the call. And here's how that conversation went. Village Police Department. Yeah, hi, look, I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. Our phones there are out of order, so I'd like somebody to go over to our house, tell him that we're coming home to get him. Okay, let me connect you to family crisis intervention. No, it's not a family crisis. Hold on. Rose puts Kay on hold and then knocks on the glass window between her office and Sergeant Balzac's office. Rose shouts, Larry, can you pick up? There's some lady on hold. Sounds kind of hyper. What line, Rose? Uh, two. Sergeant Balzac picks up the phone as he's holding a glazed donut. Family crisis intervention, Sergeant Balzac. He takes a big bite of his donut, and Kay says, I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone, and with donut in his mouth as he's on the phone, and, and as looking at a magazine, Sergeant Balzac uh, begins his less than enthusiastic questioning. Has the child been involved in a violent altercation with drunken and or mentally ill member of his immediate family? No. Has he been involved in a household accident? I don't know. I don't. I, I, I hope not. A piece of donut actually falls and sticks on the phone as he's talking. Has your child ingested poison and or any other object has become lodged in his throat? No, he's just home alone, and I would like somebody to go over to the house and see that he's all right just to check on him. You want us to go to your house just to check on him? Yes. Let me connect you with the police department. No, they just connected me to you. And without putting Kay on hold, Sergeant Balzac bangs his phone on the glass and says, Rose, hyper on two. Um, hang on, please. As he transfers Kay, she says, no, please don't hang up, please. And she whines and shakes the phone. And eventually, Kay screams into the phone, somebody pick up, pick up. And Rose finally picks up and says, oh, hi, ma'am, it's you again. Yeah, hi, look, I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. And I, and Rose interjects, okay, okay, we'll send a policeman over to the house to check on your son. Now, you probably know how that feels to leave a child at home as you go off into another country. I'm, I'm just kidding. Not that part. Being bounced around on the phone to various people, becoming frustrated that you're not talking to the right person and you're not being heard and you're not getting any real help. I think you've probably been there. And if we're honest, we've likely felt that way in prayer. God, I need help. I'm pouring out my heart. Are you actually listening to what I'm saying? Do you care? Why aren't you doing anything? Sometimes, even though we know it's, it's not true, we feel like God ignores us. 
sometimes feel as if prayer won't do much good. Saints, the the people most committed to relentless prayer are also the people who believe that prayer is necessary and effective and are desperate for God to respond. Have you been taking your burdens, concerns, anxieties, desires to your Heavenly Father in prayer? Are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? We should not expect to receive unless we are. So here's the big takeaway for this morning. Our Heavenly Father loves us, listens to us, and promises to provide for us the best of things as we depend on him alone. If you get what Jesus is teaching here, you will be greatly comforted and encouraged, and that's what I'm after. I want you to sense the love of your Heavenly Father, uh, to, to ask Him for what you need, to trust Him more deeply, to believe you actually have your Father's ear because He loves and cares for you, and to be encouraged that God's promises are promises to you, dear child of God. As the message unfolds, I'd like you to consider several questions. What are you asking God for and why do you want it? What are you seeking and why do you want to find it? What's on the other side of the door which makes you knock? Consider those questions as we continue. Let me say this before we head into the verses. Why does Jesus address prayer multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, I think in part because prayer is such a necessary and effective part of our thankful response to God's marvelous grace. Also, I think Jesus wanted his disciples to really know God, to genuinely experience his fatherly love and provision. The repetition of Jesus here shows emphasis. Jesus wanted them to get it, to really understand the heart of their father, his commitment and readiness to give them really good things and to hearten them to ask, to to pray for those good things. Saints, how we approach God in prayer reflects what we believe about God and about ourselves. The late Presbyterian pastor, Dr. James Boyce, said, quote, If a young man wants to ask his father for something, he will pattern his request on the nature and the temperament of his father. End of quote. How we perceive God and ourselves greatly influences how we pray. And since our perception of God and ourselves is not always appropriate, it's not always accurate, our prayer suffers. Jesus wanted his disciples to know deep down that God was their loving father. They were his dependent children and that their father welcomed them to ask him for the best of things because he is ready to give. He was ready back then at that time with those disciples to give them the best of things. 
So let's, let's get into the text. Let's unpack it. First, ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Verse 7 assumes several things. I'd like to give you these, these several things. First, we keep asking. You, you don't ask once. You keep asking. Uh, the Greek suggests this. Think of Jesus' illustration in Luke 11 of the man knocking on his friend's door in the middle of the night or the persistent widow before the judge in Luke 18. Second, humility. Prideful people don't ask God for much because they assume they don't need to. Humble people, humble people, they ask God for a lot. Third, recognition of need. We ask God for the right things when we are aware of our need of those right things. Who asks for that which they don't need? Fourth, intimate family relationship with the one we're asking to give to us. Prayer must be offered in true familial intimacy with God as Father through Christ. Why would God give his favor to complete strangers? If, if some mysterious kid came up to me randomly and asks, asked for $1,000, I'm not going to give him $1,000. However, right now at this time, I am setting aside money in investments in investment accounts for each of my children. Do you see the difference there? Intimate familial relationship. The enemies of God should not expect to receive good things from God. Only his children, his beloved children, should expect to receive good things from him. From him. Do you know that God does not hear, does not regard, does not care about the prayers of wicked, self-righteous, unrepentant unbelievers? He only hears the prayers of his beloved adopted children. Do you remember the ridiculous prayer of that one Pharisee in Jesus' parable? God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Wow, that is a really dumb prayer. What a stupid prayer. God doesn't listen to that kind of self-righteous garbage. Jesus said that Pharisee was not justified. It was the penitent sinner who was pouring out his heart to God in, in contriteness of heart that was justified and faith that was justified. So listen to these, these very clear verses. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 28, 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. In John 9, 31, the blind man that Jesus healed says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now, we need to understand this. One person 
deserves to be heard by God. Only one. Because only that one is righteous. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only person who deserves to have God's ear. So if someone wants God to hear their prayers, uh, to hear and respond to them, they must offer their prayers to God by true faith in Jesus Christ, by the leading of Christ's Spirit in accordance with their Father's holy will. God regards prayers which are offered in solidarity or union with Christ Jesus, his beloved son. Otherwise, his ears are closed. So when Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you, it assumes an intimate relationship with God the Father through God the Son by the leading of God the Spirit. A fifth assumption. Verse 7 assumes that we ask for that which accords with God's sovereign will and pleasure. True prayer is thy will be done, not my will be done. So God, and we have to know this now and be clear on this, God hears uh, his children's prayers. He regards them as precious. He welcomes them. He hears. He cares. And he will answer and he will give good things. But if his children ask wrongly, if they ask for the wrong things with the wrong motives, they should not expect to receive because they've asked foolishly. James 4, 2 and 3 say, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's an important line. Now, if Andrew, my son, my four-year-old son, asks me, Father, may I drive the car to the playground? What do you think as his dad I'm going to say? Am I going to give my keys to a four-year-old to drive by himself down to the playground? Now, consider 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. What a wonderful promise. Prayer is a wonderfully effective exercise of faith because as we ask our Father for good things with, uh, which accord with his will, we know he'll give them to us. And to ensure that we know what to pray for, to ensure that we're not ignorant and just lost, like what do I ask for? What if I ask for the wrong thing? Jesus kindly taught his disciples how to pray by giving them the Lord's Prayer. What a wonderful gift. So we know what to ask for. We know the categories. We, we can be confident to receive God's favor and blessing when we pray according to his perfect, sovereign, and revealed will. Sixth, faith or confidence is assumed in verse 7. Jesus didn't mention the, the condition of faith here but he did in, in other places. 
faith is assumed here in, the, in these verses. The late Dr. Leon Mara said about verses 7 through 11, he lays down no conditions such as prayer in faith or in accordance with the will of God. Such things are made clear elsewhere and can be assumed. End of quote. So we have to go to other places in Scripture, other passages, to realize that prayer is only effective if offered in true faith and solidarity with Christ. We call this principle of interpretation the analogy of faith, which simply means Scripture interprets Scripture. So we're not reading into the text. It's assumed in the text because of other places that are more clear on this particular issue. Now, later in Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus teaches, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. There you have it. That's, that's clearer. Prayer is useless apart from true faith. It can be little true faith, but it must be true faith, union with Christ. In the, the upper room in John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus taught his disciples this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Later, Jesus added in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, how is that true? How can that be? Is that a blank check? It's true because when we abide in Christ and when Christ's word abides in us, we want the right things and therefore we know what to ask for and we ask for the right things because there's that union, that unity. We're being led of the Spirit to ask for the right thing. So do you want God to answer your prayers? I hope that you're saying, yes, I want him to hear me. I want him to answer my prayers. Then you must abide in Christ. And his word must abide in you. Then when you receive those things that you have rightly asked him for, you are also so thankful for Christ. You're thankful for having him because you know he is the reason why you've received. Now, what does James 1, 5 and 6 say? I love this verse. This encourages me because I need this. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So true faith is not just believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins. It's more than that. True faith includes believing all of God's promises in his word, believing that God will indeed hear you and provide for you marvelous things that are outlined in his promises throughout his word. But, but like the 12, we are of little faith. We are of little faith. We need to ask our Father to increase our faith by his, his grace and his spirit to strengthen our faith in his promises so that we receive what he promises and we receive the comfort in receiving that. And, and then we're grateful people for receiving what we've asked for.
John Calvin is good on this, and, and he rightly said this, Nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. Those who doubt can only pray in an indifferent manner. And prayer, unaccompanied by faith, is an idle and unmeaning ceremony. Accordingly, Christ, in order to excite us powerfully to this part of our duty, not only enjoins what we ought to do, but promises that our prayers shall not be fruitless. End of quote. Saints, our faith is little. God understands that. He loves us even with our little faith, but it's true faith. But when we come to the Father with um, dependent faith, that he loves, that he listens, that he gives, our petitions are not fruitless. And, And we can be confident to receive. He loves you, dear saints. He loves you. He's, he's there to give to you what you ask of him. Ask for that which he promises to give. So, so in order to do that, you have to know scripture. You have to know his will, his revealed will. You have to know what to ask for. So verse 7 assumes at least six things. That we must keep asking, have humility, recognize our great need, enjoy intimate relationship with our Father through Christ our Savior, ask for that which accords with God's glorious and sovereign will, and ask in true faith in our Father. Now, we don't want to ask for the wrong things. So, we may be a little nervous to approach God. Sensitive hearts are like, but I don't want to ask for the wrong things. What if I ask for something selfish? Then he's not listening to me, and and our minds can go crazy with that. Um, Take heart, okay? You, You are heard because of the merits of Jesus, not the purity or the fullness or the strength of your faith. You're heard because of your solidarity with Christ, and that is comforting. We pray how Jesus taught us to pray. It's simple. We pray how Jesus taught us to pray. We follow the simple structure or categories given us by the Lord in the Lord's Prayer. And as much as we pray those categories faithfully, not the exact words, but the categories that he's giving us, we will receive those good things from God. It's a wonderful promise. I think Dr. Boyce gave us a good challenge. He said, God delights to give good gifts to his children. Hence, if we do not receive them, the fault does not lie in God. It lies in our failure to ask things of him. End of quote. If we want to receive good things from God, we must keep asking. Second, seek and you will find. The Greek text suggests we must keep seeking. Uh, This is another way to say keep seeking praying. Don't just ask. Ask and seek what you ask for. You you won't find good things unless you seek out those good things. Dr. Hendrickson said this, seeking is asking plus acting. One should not only pray for a deep knowledge of the Bible, but should also diligently search and examine the scriptures, attend the services, Above all, strive to live in harmony with God's will. 
end of quote. I think Hendrickson was on to something there. I think seeking is praying, accompanied by the fervent use of other means of grace, the word, the sacraments, corporate worship, shepherding and accountability in the local church. We don't just pray and then sit there expecting God to give us the best things. We seek the best things that God has for us, those gracious things that that he gives. We seek them. Jesus used the word seek one other time in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember. What did he say to seek? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The best gifts are found by those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You will, brothers and sisters, you will find amazing blessings, good things, the best of things, if you seek those best of things, if you seek the right things. Might we sometimes feel insecure in prayer because we are seeking the wrong things in prayer? Are we seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness? Are our prayers filled with God-glorifying requests, petitions? I think we, we all would be wise to ask ourselves this question, or these questions. What do we want to find? When, when we hear uh, the Sermon on the Mount, do we want all the good things that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. Brothers and sisters, uh, I want to read you something very helpful. It's a helpful challenge from, from Dr. Boyce and then ask you a question. So this is what Dr. Boyce said, and I think this is very appropriate for our time and, and for us to hear. He said, I believe that these texts contain the explanation of the weakness and irrelevance of much Christian living and of much contemporary Christianity. Every now and then, a minister is asked by some Christian, why is it that I cannot seem to find victory in the Christian life? Why does the Bible seem difficult to understand? Why do I still seem in bondage to some besetting sin? Why am I such a poor witness? Why do the high principles of Christian conduct have such little effect on my job and on the affairs of my family? The answer is that you do not ask God for these blessings. You do not have because you do not ask. End of quote. And here's my question for you. Are you asking God for these kinds of good gifts? Are you seeking him and those good gifts. I'll be candid. There are a bunch of good things that I really want God to give me, but I'm not asking, or at least I'm not asking as I should be asking with that frequency. Neither am I seeking them as I should be seeking them. Heidelberg 116 says, God will give. God will give his grace, and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. That is profound and that is practical. Very helpful statement. Chances are we don't have because we don't ask. Are you tired 
of asking? Do you feel like you just asked and then you don't want to ask again? Keep asking. Keep asking. Saints, what you pray about indicates what you are seeking. Do your prayers reflect God-glorifying desires or selfish desires? It's It's not selfish to pray things like, God, give me gentleness, give me kindness, give me love for others. Help me to have a desire to serve. Help me to love your church. Help me to love your word. Those are not selfish requests. They're good requests. It is selfish to pray things like, God, give me immeasurable wealth. Make me famous. Give me power that I can control people or something. Those are are not good prayers. Are you seeking the greatest good which glorifies your Father? Third, knock and it will be opened to you. Again, the Greek suggests that we must continue to knock. Not one rap, not two or three, but unceasing rapping. That sounds good in two different ways. Uh, Persistence is what, what he's after. Dr. Hendrickson said, knocking is asking plus acting plus persevering. Saints, we must keep knocking until that door opens and we get what we want on the other side of that door. But what's on the other side of the door for you? What do you want to be on the other side of the door? Maybe we should ask the question, who do we want to be on the other side of that door? Are you relentless in your knocking because you want God and you want his good gifts? Isn't it it great going over to people's homes for dinner? Do you remember the good old days when we were able to go over to one another's houses for dinner? Oh, those fond, fond memories of that. We knock, all right? We go up to the door, we knock and... And our dear friends, they hear our knock and they come to the door and they open it and there are smiles and hugs back in the day when we could touch each other. And and they invite us in to spend a wonderful evening together in their home. Are you knocking because you want God to come and open the door and commune with you and give you his best blessing? Why are you knocking? What what do you want to be on the other side of that door? What do you expect to be on the other side of that door? Now, I have tremendous news for you today. It is great news, and I want you to get this. God is going to open the door and give you what you ask for. Isn't that great news? It's a promise, which brings us to this question. Why should we ask, seek, and knock? Why persist when persistence gets very tiring? Your voice might be tired of asking. Your heart might be tired of seeking. Your knuckles might be tired of knocking. Why persist? Number one, because as we depend upon our Father, He meets our needs. The answer is simple. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Promise. But be careful. 
Don't hear verses 7 through 11 as a blank check. It's not. Like all rational and loving parents, God does not give his children whatever they ask because sometimes they ask for the wrong thing. Sometimes they're foolish in their asking. He still loves them. They're just foolish when they ask. God doesn't spoil his children by giving them whatever tickles their fancy. He gives them the best things which they need to best glorify him. And some people may think this promise is for everyone. It isn't. God gives his children the best of things. This is a promise for believers. Consider who Jesus was talking to or to whom Jesus was talking. He was talking to his disciples. So dear ones, Dear brothers and sisters, dear children of God, beloved adopted children of God, if you persist in asking, persist in seeking, persist in knocking, you will receive, you will find, and and you will see God swing that door wide open to bless you with the best of things, the things in accord with the Lord's prayer and the will of God revealed in Scripture. We can't open the door ourselves. We need our Father to open the door to receive good things. And that's why we pray to the one true God who is our Father. J.C. Ryle gave us an encouraging word. There is nothing so simple and plain as praying. If a man really has a will to pray, there is nothing, unhappily, which men are so slow to do. They will use many of the forms of religion, attend many ordinances, do many things that are right before they will do this. Do we indeed pray? Then let us pray on and not faint. It is not lost labor. It is not useless. It will bear fruit after many days. That word never yet failed. Everyone who asks receives. End of quote. Are you weary of asking, seeking, and knocking? Are you tired? Does God seem aloof, disinterested, far? Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. It is not useless. It is efficacious because our Father is gracious. Your heavenly father loves you, is listening to you, has promised to provide for you the best of things as you depend on him alone. Don't lose heart, dear ones. Just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Go to God, go to his word, go to his law and gospel and pray that what you find there will be yours. And trust. We ask, seek, and knock because as we depend upon our Father, He meets our needs. Number two, because our Father knows exactly what we need and don't need. I think it comes down to trusting whether our Father knows best. Would you say that you know better than God? Then you must trust that what God gives and what God withholds is in your best interest. And that's not easy. Oh my goodness, that's not easy. Hence, our prayers of desperation must be, give me your grace and Holy Spirit, build my faith and confidence that you know best. That's a good prayer. God doesn't give his children whatever they ask, whenever they ask, as if they determine what is best for them. 
No, God gives them whatever he determines is best for them, which is actually and always what is best for them. One of, one of the reasons we trust God is that we can't trust ourselves. God is trustworthy. If, and if I think back, oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, if, if God would have given me everything that I desired or asked for through the years, I would be miserable and I wouldn't be here and I'm really glad that I'm here. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Of course, when a, when a child is hungry, he'll ask for bread and fish. It would be deceitful. It would be cruel for a father to then give his son a round stone that looks kind of like a loaf of bread or a scaly serpent, which may look like a fish or would be dangerous and maybe bite the child. Loving father, fathers know the needs and legitimate desires and requests of their children and they want to meet those needs and desires and legitimate requests. Verse 11 shows that even sinful dads know how to do this. It's instinctual. And bread and fish, bread and fish are justifiable for a, a child to ask. They're not indulgent desires. They're not, you know, self, selfish desires. Do you remember when uh, uh, what Jesus said back in Matthew 6, 8 about Gentiles and their long and and meaningless pagan prayers. He said, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Keep asking, seeking, and knocking because your father knows best. Why do we ask, seek, and knock? Number three, because our father is the best, most generous, and most loving father there is. Isn't that ultimately what Jesus wants us to get? God is wise. God is great. God is trustworthy. God is a loving father. God loves his kids. God gives the best things to his kids when they ask, even when they don't realize how good his gifts are. So, see, sometimes we actually think God is giving us a stone and a serpent, when in reality, he's actually giving us a warm piece of bread and a a big piece of fried fish i'm putting the fried in there i love a good fried fish sandwich if you're ever in northeast pennsylvania and and uh you're driving along route five you need to stop in at the freeport restaurant and grab yourself a battered yellow perch sandwich and eat it and give glory to god god's the best dad verse 11 if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Once again, Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater, and he did this back in the anxiety section. First, notice that Jesus recognizes the universal wickedness of mankind, but does not include himself in it. If you then who are evil, all men are evil, sinful, wicked to the core, except Jesus. 
We all need grace. And inside of even evil parents, sinful parents, very selfish and self-centered and self-righteous parents is the instinct of love and provision for their children. And if that's the case, how much more is God, the preeminent father, filled with divine and perfect love for his children? And how much more will God, the father, give good things to all his beloved adopted children who ask him for these good things. Now, parents, you know how intense your love is for your kids, even if they're old, older kids. Are you aware that your love for your kids is infinitely less than God's love for his children? Infinitely less. There's only a slight comparison here. God's love is so much more, and the cross of Jesus Christ is evidence that that's true. When Luke recounts this phrase uh, in Luke 11, he includes an interesting variation that we need to pay attention to. He wrote, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Doesn't that clarify what constitutes good things? They are Good things, the best of things, are the things of the Spirit of God. They're not temporal, material, possession, health, wealth, prosperity. That, that's just not it. We have our needs, physical needs. We're body and soul. Let's not diminish the, the physical reality. That's important. That's part of who we are. But they're the spiritual things of God, the things of the kingdom. You, you might think of the fruit of the Spirit in here. We want the Spirit to produce these things in us. And this is why Heidelberg 1.16 says what it does. We must constantly ask our Father for His grace his favor, and his Holy Spirit, and we must thank him for receiving these gifts. So my encouragement this morning is simple. Our Heavenly Father loves us, listens to us, and he promises to provide for us the best of things as we depend on him alone. Uh, this is true for us because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Son, who secured all of this for us. He is our yes. He's the reason that we can be confident that we will receive these gifts from God. Keep praying, dear saints. Keep trusting, dear saints. Jesus is alive, amen, and God is ready to bless those who ask in solidarity with his Son.